I was gonna get my camera out and take a picture of you people this morning. You know, and I thought, well, maybe I better not do that. It's an anonymous program. This is the one, this okay, is the one I have to put my mouth inside the thing. Uh, because somebody who is very kind to me in the recent past, and I mean that by the past three days, uh, has infected me with some kind of a kooky virus. And this is not my voice. I sound like Mickey Mouse or something. To me. Maybe not to you. I'm Jerry, and I'm an alcoholic. It doesn't matter who knows that, as long as I don't forget it. I always try to start this thing with a little bit of humor, because gosh, all Friday, you know, it says in that book that I have that we're supposed to be happy, joyous, and free, and we're not a glum lot. And to stand up here and tell you all the terrible things to do for a step ten is ridiculous. But I try to think of what in the world can I talk about when it comes to an inventory and to continue taking an inventory. And I was thinking about the airplane that was flying over a rather uh, wooded area and it was very uh, desolate, nobody was around, and the dumb thing went down. And it broke apart and two people in the seat got thrown out of the thing up against a tree and when they came to, they were wearing their seatbelts and all, the plane exploded in flames and burned up. And the Mun Man was a good CIA person, a good Irish Catholic, and he immediately looked at this catastrophe and he said, thank you, Lord, for saving me from this terrible catastrophe, and he crossed himself. And he looked next to him, and it was a Jewish man. And there he was, crossing himself. And he thought, my God, this terrible catastrophe has affected that man permanently. But they unhooked themselves and started trying to walk out. And, and every so often the Catholic man would stop and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me from this terrible catastrophe, and would cross himself. He'd look over, and there was a Jew crossing himself. Finally, he took him aside and he said, listen, has this awful catastrophe converted you from Judaism to Christianity? Why, he said, Christian, I'm not. Well, he said, I see you crossing yourself all the time. He said, crossing myself, I'm not. It's an inventory, testing, checking. So what do you mean, inventory? He said, certainly, spectacles, testicles, cigar, and wallet. I'm testing. <laughs> and we have to go on through life doing the same damn thing all the time. I got to tell you that when, when I was up, on Walloon Lake, and we do that every August, and go to a camp, and I got a chance to sail. And a friend of mine said, hell, you're a pretty good sailor, Jerry. Will you help me and be my crew? And I said, heck yes, you know, you got a pretty little boat there. And we got in that boat, and, and we started across the, the starting line rather far back in the pack. But it's a beautiful little boat called a Wayfarer. It does nice and light wind. And we sailed and tacked and sailed and tacked, and we moved right on up through the group, and we hit the first marker first. And we came around that first marker, and my friend did one of those no-no things. As we came around, he left the boom out, and it hit the water, and we sailed under the water, you know? 
And I fell out of the boat, and I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die for sure because I'll come up right underneath that damn sail, and you can't breathe under a sail. I was just sure it was all done. But of course, I bobbed, bobbed up right in between the boom and the, and the deck. And as we looked into the water, all of the things inside of the boat were dribbling down to the bottom. We righted the boat, and we didn't bother to look over the side to see what was out of the boat. We started checking around inside the boat, what can we use to bail with? There's an inventory. I listen to people and they say, oh, wow, you know, I used to be this, I used to be that, I used to be another. Hell yes, it used to be. If you were to buy some kind of a store, would you ask them for the invoice of the storeroom from 1929? You want to know what the hell's back there today? Well, when I, when I had to do my inventory the first time, I wrote out one of those 32-page books for my sponsor, and he said, hey, that's not, that's not an inventory, that's a movie script, you know. I said, bull roar, that's my inventory. He said, no, it's not. I said, yes, it is. He said, no, it's not. As a movie script, I know. He said, take one little sheet of paper. And I tore one out of my little notebook. He said, you can do your inventory on that. I said, the hell I can. And he said, you can. I said, no, I can't. I've got a big history. He said, no, you haven't. It's a very simple thing. Have you ever taken anything knowingly that didn't belong to you? And I said, well, hell yes, you know, that we always do things like that, don't we? He said, well, then write down thief. Ooh. That didn't sound like a real good thing to me. Uh, he said, did, did you ever go with a lady and make love to her who you knowingly was not your wife? I said, that's my middle name. I've done that right along. He said, then write down cheat. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I didn't like the way this thing was going, you know? And we went down through a whole flock of things that way on one sheet of paper, one word each, and I had an inventory, and I knew who I was. What tools have I got to work with this day? I got a voice. It ain't very good, you know? I'm not too bright, but I can do that sort of a thing. How am I put together? What have I got to work with? Not what would I like to be, not what was I yesterday, not how did I violate the things that I, I believe are true. I had taken inventory. Well, we get to the 10th step and we're supposed to continue. Well, hell, if you haven't taken the fourth step, you can't do a 10th, let me tell you. Because you can't continue something you never started. So we have to start in a fourth step, do an inventory, and when we get to the 10th step, we can take a serious look at how are we doing with this inventory of ours. Glenn Coffey came out of Jackson State Prison, and that's a maximum security prison there in, in Jackson, Michigan. Glenn Coffey had a hell of a time getting sober. But he said, continue, 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 because that's the only thing you can do. One day at a time, you can continue, because every opportunity you get, you can continue. Continue to take an inventory and when not if not if it's when when we are wrong promptly admit it well, everybody gets hung up about the promptly by God I got to get there within four hours and tell the guy I was terribly sorry and all that no you don't even have to admit it to that idiot you know 
You have to admit it to yourself and to God. That's what we got to admit. Oh, well, crap, I'm going in the wrong direction again. Remember at the beginning it said, if you have decided you want what we have. I always thought it said, if you want what we've got. Now, that is the firm philosophy of a thief. Think about it. <laughs> I thought that's what it said when I came into the program. And it said, well, you can get anything you want. You're going to do this. Well, I, I had a nice wife. And I thought, holy crap, you know, I'm a lot like Barker in that respect. I've been married more than once. Uh, every time I got an erection, I thought I was in love. <laughs> then another guy had a really nice car, and I thought, geez, if this program will get you a nice car like that, I'm going to stay in this program. And I said, no, that's not what it's about. If you've decided you want what we have, and I said, well, hell, I'll make that kind of a decision. I like what I see, because I saw people who were happy and did what they said they were going to do. Now I come down with this crazy damn voice thing and it's sore in my throat and I feel like hell. But the reason I'm here is because I said I'd be here. The only thing I own is my word. You don't believe that? I can take every damn thing away from you today. Just like that. And it can be gone. You don't believe that? Take a serious look at the people who used to live in Cuba. Bingo, and it was gone. Those kinds of things, the worldly things, can be removed from my life very quickly. But nobody can take my word away. I'm the only one that can give that away. And I've done it a lot of times. Yeah, I stood right out in front of a lot of people and said, hey, I love this young lady. I'm going to stay with her forever and ever until death do his part. I ain't dead. But we're not together. It was just one of the lies I've told. This program says, hey, you can take an inventory. When can you do it? Well, now we're down to the basic fundamentals. Who should you do it with? That's a good question. My sponsor was very kind in that respect. He was taking my inventory all the time. <laughs> but he was the second one, because I had one wife that had, had, she had a Sears robot catalog of defects. You know, and we go over them regularly. You know, yeah, this and that and the other. I can't deny any of them. She was right. There's no question about that. She was correct. This is what she saw. Have you ever gone to a picture and then stand there and look at this beautiful painting and you point out things? There's a little red up there that balances with this red down here. And they go through all this stuff. Here's the form and how it goes, you know, and I, hell, I can't see any of that shit. It just looks pretty to me. Sometimes it looks so pretty I want to lay down and cry because I'm sensitive. It's just beautiful. And they never see what I see in it and I never see what somebody else sees in it. Inventory is mine, not anybody else's. I have to take a look at me. Well, you don't understand. If you'd been married to the wife I was married to and you can take any one of them, uh, you know, you drink too. And, and, and I thought that was a true statement. But it was because the way I viewed these things, not the way anybody else viewed them, they couldn't understand what was happening to me. And I tried to explain it. Because when I drank, it was never my fault. Never. It was your fault. It was my wife's fault. It was the boss's fault. If he had been different, I wouldn't have had to drink. And this inventory thing says, hey, wait a minute. 
what kind of tools have you got to work with? And when you do work with this, is it when you use the tool appropriately or is it when you violate the tool that you have to drink? Son of a gun. They pointed it out again. It had to do with me and my use of the tools that I've got. Now apparently I can string a few words together and, and, and keep people kind of interested and tell you what's going on in the past. A lot of people have difficulty with that. That's a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's a gift. You can't practice it. Oh, I went to, I went to uh, uh, Dale Carnegie's course and I learned how to talk. Hell no. Not in this program. Comes from the heart or it don't come at all. And we just speak his program. It was my life and that's the only thing I can share with you. How did I do the 10th step? How do I do it today? This day? If you don't wake up in the morning, take a look at that, that beautiful sunrise and say, hey, thanks God for carrying me through another night. Because there was no promise when I laid down last night I was going to get up this morning. You know, and, and uh, there's a lot of folks that I have called my friends who have laid down and never woke back up again. And they're gone. But I got to, oh, well, here I am. My, my eyes are open. My voice ain't where diddly squat, but I can take a shower so I don't stink quite so bad. You know? And I can do the things. I can get a cup of coffee and try to get motor running here so I could talk this morning. I think those things are inventories. Barker has to take a different inventory than I do. He's got different kinds of problems than I've got. I think the stupid virus thing is going to go away. But I'm not sure. I don't know. I just get to work this day, and this day says that the more I'm talking here, the better my voice is. My throat's not so sore anymore. Something's happening, and I love it. I ain't mad at people anymore. How'd that happen? I used to be the most angry son of a gun. Somebody said, oh, you got a tiger in your tank. I said, you hell right. Yes, I got a tiger in my tank. If you'd had people doing things to you like I'd had doing things to me, you'd have a tiger in your tank too. And they said, no, no, I've had a lot of your experiences and I'm not angry about it. That's the way things go. I said, well, geez, that's a bummer. Why can't I do that? Well, my sponsor said, you're just a resentful little turd, you know? I said, oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't care much for that kind of description. <laughs> Hell, I, I, I really had the idea I was with the big shooters. I, I knew how to do some of those, and I tried hard, failed miserably, tried hard. So one of the things that's in my inventory is that I can try hard. Think about it. That's an asset. Not everybody can try hard. You know that? It, it's true. So we have a lot of things we don't realize. They said, yes, but I wanted happiness all the time. You know, anything other than absolute euphoria is utter depression. There's no in-between. And one of the guys in the fellowship put his arm around me and said, Jerry, don't you realize that constant sunshine makes a desert? Oh, shit. Why do these guys come up with this crap in me? You know, I like... They said you'd never appreciate the sunshine if it didn't rain a little bit. And you think about what we've experienced here, you know, thunder and lightning and booming rain and showers or whatever. And then the sun comes out. God, what a beautiful thing. 
What a wonderful, glorious thing that the sun is unmasked because it was always there anyway. And my life has been one of kind of building masks. Masks on me. I put masks on you. I don't consult you. There's no way I want your damned opinion. I'm going to tell you what I think you believe. And I'll act on it. It's called insanity. It's another form of insanity. It's no wonder we have to have a second step and do it over and over and over again. I go to an awful lot of step meetings. I read the book. I was going to bring it up here and read it. I think that's stupid. <laughs> if I don't know this program, how can I share it with you? And the way you get to know the program is to live it one day at a time. So when do you do an inventory like this and to continue it? Well, you do a spot check. How do you do a spot check? Ooh, that's when you don't feel good. When I don't feel good, there's something wrong with me, not with the world. It tells me that in that 10th step. It's an axiom, whatever an axiom is. <laughs> yeah. It says so in the book, so I believe it. It says that when we're out of sorts, there's something wrong with me. Better take a look how you're violating one of your principles. Because I'm a violator. I really am. I, I automatically do that. I thought that was the way life should be. I had three big brothers. And I'll tell you one thing. Somebody commented on, on how well I could reach across the table and get the salt and pepper. I said, well, you learn to do that when you're little. Uh, when you've got three big brothers, it's either that or starve. And I weighed 147 pounds when I came into this program. I ain't starving today. I got a good reach. Can we get a good reach on the program? I think we can. I really think we can. But it takes this constant vigilance. One of my other sponsors came back and said that this program is constant vigilance. He who fails to remember is doomed to repeat. Now, I had a lot of pain in my life. I don't know about you guys. But I didn't come here on a winning streak. You know, it was all gone. And I thought, hell, I never want to be with those folks. That's a bunch of losers. That's why they have to come to these meetings. Said, no, they found a way to live so they don't have to continue to lose. Continue to take a personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. And amazing, it didn't say go right away up there, go right back and, and, and make restitution. Uh, it doesn't say uh, hurry up and change yourself. It didn't say any of those things. Promptly admitted it is all we have to do and be willing for God to change us. And He does on a regular basis. He does. You're not the same person you were last night. I guarantee. I really do. You're not. I'm not. We're not. We change all the time. I listen to other people and other speakers and, and I, I incorporate that. So what have I done? I've learned how to steal. Then I say, well, you're a thief. Yeah. But you got to know what to take. I used to think it was the money out of your pocket. I thought it was when I went to the bar and the guy gave the change and you had to go to the john. I'd just take your change. I thought that was perfectly fine. He can afford it. That's not what it is. We learn to steal ideas. We learn to steal some time from you so I can listen if I can. I've learned how to be a thief. 
I'm so damn grateful for this program and I, I try to practice it every blessed day because if I don't practice it I ain't going to get much much uh, success out of it you know the next step was always the one that I have always enjoyed but I read it wrong and I'm sure you guys have too and you know because I thought it said sought through prayer and medication to improve my contact with God <laughs> and I thought that's the way to do it you know because I tried all of those things I'm no different than anybody else that's gotten up and spoken but I can tell you honestly my inventory is a little different because it's mine I don't do the kinds of things that I used to do. I, I went to my friends and I said, you know, because I, I believe in the group, you know, the second tradition says, you know, that, that God reveals himself through the group process. And I went to the group and said, you know, I'm getting tired of these divorces. And they said, geez, maybe you shouldn't get married anymore. <laughs> now, I thought that was good advice, you know. Doesn't mean I don't fall in love, but I don't get divorced anymore because I don't, I don't get get married anymore. Not that I wouldn't like to. I, you know, I I'd love to find that one who was. But every time I found that lady, she got tired of me. They walk out, man. Okay. My inventory isn't too good that way. But I think if we listen to each other. I had to listen to step 10 around the table over and over and over again before I could do step 4. We were doing step 10 in our little uh, step class one night and, and I told people, well there's a lot of times I can't tell the difference between right and wrong. And, and I met Anne is a delightful lady, she drank six beers and became an alcoholic. but. She said, Jerry, you should be able to know the difference between right and wrong. And I couldn't. I couldn't tell her that. I'd been doing it my way for so long and believed it was right that I'd lost my foundation for right and wrong. I had to listen in the 10 step meetings and find out, hey, you don't do that. When you leave the plant, you don't walk off with a, a pocket full of the nuts or bowls. You don't take the tools when you leave work. You don't do that. You don't take other people's money. You don't put your hand in their pocket. You don't play with other people's wives. I had to learn that, and I learned that in the 10 step meetings. I've learned that, and I try to live that way. And when I live that way, then I'm practicing the 10th step. Well, sometimes they say, gee, maybe you ought to throw up a little balance here, you know, at the end of the night. Figure, figure out what the heck you've done that day and see, you know, where you've cheated people. They didn't say if. Hated that. Said where you've cheated people. So every night I really kind of review the days living and see where I have not been following this program as best I can. And I don't try to change it, but I can tell God, hey, I recognize what I'm doing. I can recognize it better, and I do it a heck of a lot less today because I can recognize it. And once a year or so, you need to have a little retreat and, and take a serious look at the previous year. Geraldine Delaney stood up here and said, if you guys don't take an inventory once a year, you don't find out how little you've changed. Pissed me off. I can't change me. This whole thing is that I find out and become aware. You know this is a 4A program. 
you first have to be aware that you got a problem before you can do anything about it. Then you have to admit it. Well, that was easy. I always told everybody I was an Elkie. There's no problem on that. They said, then you have to accept it down here. And, oh, crap. Okay, now I've got to do something. And the last day is action. Let's get on with the action. What's the action? Action's going to meetings. Action's helping a newcomer. Action's listening to a fifth step. Not taking one. Sometimes I, I do, I learn a lot more about me by listening to a fifth step. Sharing with another human being the pain and misery they've gone through in their lives. And it's different than what I've gone through. But the principles are the same. And then asking God, how do I get out of this? How do I do it? Can you change me? Am I changeable? Am I teachable? And it's never failed. You know, so, oh, Jesus, terrible. You know, these people just are in my way all the time. So he said, gee, maybe you ought to learn something about that. Since I've been in this program, I haven't been in the wrong place. I haven't been shot at in a bar. I haven't been in a fist fight. Nobody's thrown a bottle at me. Before that, I was in that all the time. Because I was an angry little bugger. And today I'm not. I'm really a happy guy. So what happens when we go through life and we don't continue the tenth step? Because this is a continue step. Continue, continue, continue. Well, if we don't continue to take the inventory, we're going to slip back in to complacency. Complacency means I've got this thing all sewed up. I've got it nailed down. I know all about the program. I don't have to do those things. All I had to do is know about them. So no, you got to do them. This is not a thing of knowing. It's a thing of acting. Because if I don't, and I get complacent, the next thing that's going to happen is curiosity. I'm going to be curious. Did they really make the right diagnosis? Have I, maybe I could have a drink and get away with it. Maybe nobody would ever know. That's curiosity, buddy. And when that happens, if I take a drink, compulsion sets in immediately. I just heard Barker say that. I got to have one every two hours. Uh, maybe for the first hour. And the second time, you got to have two for the next two hours. And it's escalating from there. And what happens is the return of chaos in my life. The four C's that we have to guard against by doing... Until yesterday that they told me I was going to do step 10. Uh, that tells you clearly my alcoholic thinking. I did very hard homework about eight. Can you hear me? Now? Okay. Uh, but 10, John said it was going to be simple, so we're going to try to do it simple. Uh, when I made a daily inventory, uh, it was very clear in my mind that you were always wrong. Uh, for 35 years, I never came or occurred to me that I was a problem. Uh, I was brought into a life of being fairly happy, uh, although my father, that was an alcoholic, uh, showed me how not to do it, but it was not enough to see it from him. I had to do it myself for the next 35 years. Uh, I, I hear a lot of people telling that they remember their first drink. I don't remember my first drink. I remember my first AA meeting. 
Uh, it was Mother's Day, 1951, uh, and it was at my home, and four gentlemen came in uh, to talk to my father. And I remember asking them would they rather have scotch or rum, and they told me they didn't drink. Uh, and I said, why the hell are these four guys going to try to make an intervention when my father's been drunk for the last 30 days? Uh, that was the first meeting, and my father also was his last drink. Uh, it's impossible for me to be able to determine and tell my story without knowing a little bit about him. He went on for the next 35 years uh, and died sober. I went on for the next 35 years and got drunk. Uh, he stopped when I was about 12, somewhere between 12 and 13, I started drinking. Uh, never thought I needed to make amends because it was out of the 30 years, 35 years I drank, 30 would probably were great. Uh, I did basically everything I wanted to do. I drank uh, and it never occurred to me that I needed to make any amends, much more or less any inventories. Uh, toward the end of my career in drinking is when I realized that somebody must have a problem other than you all. Uh, and it began one simple day that three doctors came into my office, one talking very clearly about my drinking problem and two other doctors, one falling asleep in the couch. Uh, and I thought that they had brought him there with one intention because I kept on looking at him, that's the way I'm going to be if I don't stop drinking. And him without knowing was the one that really did the intervention on me. Uh, it was very frightening and, uh, and I remember before they came to see me that I had already done all my homework very well like I had done in the past. Uh, I had stopped drinking for about three, four weeks before, I had done my liver profile, I was a little bit out of whack, but I repeated it a couple of times in the two days before the intervention. I had a real clean bit of health, liver profile on my desk. Uh, they told me that I had six DUIs. They were wrong. I never had a DUI. I had six improper drivings, but never had a DUI, and I could prove it. I had a record uh, in, my, in my desk, and these three gentlemen came in and basically told me, we have nothing on you but we know about you and it's going to be a matter of time before we get you. Uh, I basically being ready to fight what I simply did was ask him what do I do. Uh, they gave me a phone number of a gentleman uh, and, see, and somehow I managed to to move around with this for about three or four weeks. Finally I decided to go, uh, went down there and somebody also had the same experience. They put me in a humongous room bigger than this uh, they said there were 90 doctors there. I swear that there were like 500. And every one of them was looking at me and telling me that I was sick. And I walked out of that room convinced that they all were sick. Uh, I had a meeting the next day with Doug, and Doug basically told me what I knew. You know, you've been going to AA meetings probably before all of us. Uh, you have a problem. You need help. You need to stay here with us. I said, well, let me go home, and I will be back. Never went back. What I basically did is uh, I had met a new Joe Persh uh, in, when I was uh, in the Navy, and I knew that if I called Joe, I would convince him that I was not an alcoholic and that he would write me a nice, clean bill of health, and I'd be back home. So uh, nobody knew this well, but everybody knew that I was on my way to doing something. So uh, my wife today told me, of all the places you picked, you had to pick completely the opposite corner of where I was. and. Uh, at that time again, I never thought I was going to do that on purpose, but 
but I did. I, I went out there with the idea that I was going to be there for a good long weekend, and Joe was going to write me this nice letter. I was going to come back and give it to the medical society, and we all would live happily ever after. Next thing I know, I was in the hospital. Uh, uh, I told him that I had not had a drink for a month, which was true. I, I had been clean for a month. Uh, but they still put me in this detox ward. And, um, by training, I'm a neurologist and a psychiatrist, and uh, I've been used to being on the other side, uh, and they put me in this ward where there's probably six or seven beds, and my next-door neighbor wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and tells me, you know, what the shit you're doing here? This is, this is not what you need to do. What we need to do is come sit down with me, let's pray, and then we can jump the fence and go get drunk. And he opened up his Bible and started reading to me. Uh, they were supposed to do rounds and about every 15, 20 minutes supposed to check us. I swear nobody showed up for about an hour and this guy was sitting there reading me the Bible. Uh, next morning I left and uh, they took me to the open ward uh, and my life changed. Uh, I think for the first time in my life I was able to start to understand what life had done to me. What I can, I can only describe it in a very simple way is like somebody would take the outer layer of skin from me. Uh, I had built this layer for 35 years and, and, and in a very quick, swift move, somebody just peel it off and I was raw. I was raw from there on for probably the next three years. Uh, although I've been Five years sober this November, my first year, I don't call it a, a year of recovery. I've always called it a year of discovery. Uh, I was blessed by Joe calling me and telling me to come to these meetings. And the first one was in San Antonio. And I remember going there and sitting in a corner and like a good student taking notes. Uh, and I would take all these notes and I would go up to my room and I would cry and cry and I could I could not get rid of this internal pain that I continue to have. Uh, and I kept on thinking, you know, I mean, I can't live this way. There is no way that I can continue to be with this amount of pain that I have. It's just impossible. Uh, they told me also that the desire to drink would go away. I mean, and I was desperate. Oh, God, that I wanted to drink. Uh, I had this little voice inside of me that always wanted to take a drink and what Jerry was saying is, you know, I could do it. I was alone. I could figure out different ways that I could do it that nobody would find out. I mean, I was an expert of, 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 of doing these things all my life and, and again, I had no idea why I didn't do it, but I just knew that if I took that first drink, I was going to die. It was that there was no if, ands, or buts about that. Uh, it was horrible. I remember leaving that IDAA and at least thinking and measuring, by the way, that about 90% of the people at that meeting were sicker than me. So therefore, I had a chance. I had a chance. I, I was not as sick and maybe someday I would, I would be okay. I would be well. Uh, I have continued coming to these meetings, but every time I would come to any of the meetings, again, it was, it was like I was stripped again of this outlay of skin and it was it was just painful uh, my wife today would always would know that by the second day I needed to be by myself I needed to 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 start what I think today is this inventory that I did with myself uh, no I did not go to anybody and say I'm sorry I, 
I've been working too long and too hard just to say I'm sorry to myself. Uh, I've hurt me for so long uh, that I haven't had the time yet to say I'm sorry to you. I, I just feel that before I can understand how to say I'm sorry to you, I need to understand how to say I'm sorry to me. Uh, I know that the last four years had made me a happier human being. Uh, that's the word that I'm searching for. I, I, I know that if I continue to come to these meetings and I continue to do what you tell me to do, it'll get better. Uh, my first sponsor is here that told me this at the beginning. I remember him telling me over and over again that you had to do the fourth step. I haven't done a fourth step. I don't think I'm ready to do a fourth step yet. I'm still working on my first step. Uh, I still get up every morning and all I want to do is to be able to be sure that I can go to bed tonight without having a drink. Um, I hear people like Jerry and they basically tell me it's okay. You know, it's, uh, maybe tomorrow, maybe next year, maybe someday I'll be ready to do that step. What I can tell you today is that I've made amends and I'm working on making amends with me. Uh, that's most important. Uh, God has given me uh, a lot of good things, uh, given me a wonderful wife that met me towards the end of my career in drinking and I still don't understand how she hang around because that was the sickest part. Uh, she was telling me yesterday she probably stayed because she thought I was crazy and that she can deal with because he was a she's a clinical social worker. She had no idea that I was an alcoholic, but that's why you know, the social worker and her wanted to save me, so somehow she hang in there with me. Uh, God has given me the opportunity now to do something that I never thought I could do. I have a prior marriage, I have four children, three of them recovering. Uh, now I have a new child, he's 15 months old, hopefully you will see him rolling around. Uh, he has brought new life into me. Uh, I've actually learned to change diapers. I can get up in the morning with him and feed him and talk to him and share my life with him. Uh, if anybody would have told me that I would do that, that would have told them that they were completely and totally crazy. I mean, I actually enjoy uh, something and I can understand, I can understand today what it is to be a father. Uh, out of my first marriage, I had four children. Uh, my oldest boy uh, just graduated from college after being a convicted felon in Tampa and doing time for uh, thinking that he could uh, sell a little bit of cocaine so he can get his free. Today he's recovering and graduated from pre-med, getting ready to go to medical school. My other boy is an honor student third year of pre-med, getting ready to go to his fourth year, hopefully next year will graduate and also go to medical school. Uh, I have two daughters. Uh, my youngest daughter uh, had the longest time in recovery of all of us. She spent a year in Philadelphia and has not drank or used any drugs for probably eight, nine years. Uh, she had three children going through a very painful separation and divorce at the time, but she's doing okay. 
and have a daughter that married a marine is the only one that doesn't drink or has a problem. I, mean, I think it has to do with her marriage, but today uh, I was able to go to San Diego this several months ago, and if somebody would have told me that I was going to be able to sit in one restaurant with my wife of today, my child of today, my four children, and my ex-wife, and no blood was spilled. Uh, we all enjoyed a beautiful dinner. Uh, I actually have a photograph just in case, like Tulio brought his, I have the one of this. My, my ex-wife and my wife talking with my youngest child in the middle. Uh, and we were able to finally let go, uh, or I was able to finally let go of all those resentments that I had. I'm just beginning. I'm just beginning. I'm, I'm, I know that every time I try to open that closet, uh, people do it in the evenings, I do it in the morning. I got up early in the morning and I have this life closet that I try to open every morning and it's so frightening because there's so many black boxes in there. And I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I don't want to look into some of those boxes. I want to leave them there. But I keep on hearing you all tell me, don't worry, when the time comes, you will be able to open them, you will be able to see what's in there, and you will be able to deal with them. So that's what I do. Uh, I, without even realizing, I, I do a 10-step every morning, or I try to do a 10-step every morning. But I'm still doing it for me. I'm not ready yet to do it for you. Uh, I thought that being able to stand up here and talk to all of you would be a very frightening experience. And it was frightening until I stood up here. Uh, as I can sit and look at so many loving and caring people, people that I know, people that has helped me in my recovery and people that hopefully I will be able to give you something to do a little bit to you what you all have done for me. Uh, I fear to the fact of listening when I hear Tony speak. Uh, Tony K describes my life the way it could have been. Thanks God I didn't meet him in our drinking days because both of us would not be here. Uh, I, he has so many things and he talks about my story so clear uh, that him without knowing has kept me being, he has been one of the most strongest forces that I've had to help me deal with my everyday life. Uh, I was talking with Jerry yesterday and Jerry was one of the first AA members that knew that my wife was pregnant and he had told me we were in, uh, it was in, I think it was in Tampa in one of the Florida Flora meetings and he basically, I had been talking the year before that I was starting to plan my retirement and uh, I was going to retire in about five years and Jerry told me, Ray, you have actually literally screwed your way out of retirement uh, and it is correct. But it was, it was a wonderful screw, ladies and gentlemen. It was wonderful. And I'm going to enjoy it for the rest of my life. I 
just can tell you that I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's an honor to be invited to be able to speak to you and to share a little bit about me. Uh, all I can tell you is that I hope that you can help me continue to grow so I can continue to glow. Thank you very much and God bless you all. For the break, uh, <clears throat> the cassette tapes of all